Man, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so I have for the next two weeks, really three weeks, but I'm not going to preach the third week, but I won't tell you who's going to preach. It's going to be a surprise for you. But the next two weeks, I'm going to be going over the gospel. I'm going to be talking about the gospel, and it is something that I believe that most of us should know or should understand. And the reason why I'm going through this is because I had a conversation with someone who I love and respect dearly, and they said that they were a little confused about some stuff, and so I wanted to make sure that I clarified, because I figure if one person is confused, maybe some other people might be confused. Amen? I'm just saying, you know, you ever heard the, 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 the saying, you know, there's no stupid question, right? And it's like, you know, sometimes you think oh, that's a dumb question, I'm not going to ask it, and usually there's someone else in the room who had the same question, amen? And so it's the same situation here, and so in that, you know, I want to communicate the gospel, I want to talk about the gospel, and I want to dig deep, as deep as we can. And so this week, I'm going to deal with the bad news, say the bad news. And next week, I'm going to deal with the good news, but I'm also going to open up because I want to make sure that if anyone has questions, that they're able to get them answered as many as possible. Obviously, if everybody in this room asks a question, I will not be able to answer all of them. I'm just saying, right? Not next week because y'all want to go home and eat lunch next week. Amen? Unless you want to be here till dinner time. I don't think you want to do that. But ultimately, what I'm going to do is um, Minister Lewis, he is preparing a little link that's going to be a drop-down box on our website. And after the service today, it'll probably be ready tomorrow or something like that. By faith, amen, amen. The just shall live by faith. Glory to God. From faith to faith. And so by faith, it'll be there ready for you. And then what you can do, because the reason why I say by faith because Lewis is real busy, so pray for him, Amen. I'm just saying, I put a lot of pressure on him, and he's like, bro, I'm like in the other side of the world. I'm like, yeah, I know, glory to God, but we got to get this done, amen. So ultimately, what, what, what's going to be there is going to be a drop-down window, and you are going to be asked anonymous, say anonymous. Anonymous questions. So what that means is, I don't know who's sending these questions. That means you can ask whatever you want, and make sure that it's pertaining to the gospel, Amen. Make sure that is a question about the gospel. It's something that you may, you know, have always wondered, something that you wanted to ask, or something that may come up today as I'm sharing the gospel as we're going through this presentation. And then what I'll do is I will go over the bad news today, go over the good news next week, and then at the end or the beginning, one of the two, I will answer some questions for you, and hopefully you will be clear on the gospel. Now, if you look down in your outline that you have in front of you, you're going to follow along with me because, we, like I said, we have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of ground to cover, and I want to make sure that we don't miss anything. So we looked at Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 17, and we're going to touch on that in a moment. But there's something that is extremely, extremely important. Say, there is something, there is something. that is extremely, 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 extremely important. important. And that something, and that something is, is the, gospel. the gospel. How many of you all agree with that? Amen. It is extremely, extremely important that we do not. Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 11, the Apostle Paul speaks about the gospel. And it, 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 if there is one thing that we cannot afford to get wrong, it is the gospel. If there is one thing, listen, we, we, we can get the, the, the temperature in the room wrong. Hello? Right? Sometimes it's freezing in here. Sometimes it's hot. You know, we can get that wrong. That's okay. We could get the wrong color carpet. We get the wrong paint on the wall. We can get the wrong design. We can, we can get a bunch of stuff wrong in this lifetime. But if there is one thing that we do not want to get wrong, it is the gospel. When the Apostle Paul communicates in the book of Galatians, and we went through that together, what he is communicating there is he is making it abundantly clear, and he is very direct in saying anyone who tries to distort the gospel or preach a different gospel, they are to be accursed, whether they or angels, whoever it is, they are to be accursed. Those are some strong words. And so we want to make sure that we get the gospel correct. And so there's a book here. It is called Whatever Happened to the Gospel. And just to give you a quick testimony, a few years back I went to a conference, and the conference was called Our Fathers, Our Future. And in that conference, my life was wrecked in a good way. Amen? It was one of those moments where God just got me for two days, and he really just showed me the power of the gospel. It was in this conference where the Lord liberated me because I will tell you a few years back, I was really concerned because our church, you know, we've grown some. And so, you know, you see in here, you know, there, there's, there's, there's a couple of empty seats, but not too many. And for most people, you know, it's, you know, it's full, and they're like, you know, where do I fit and stuff like that. But a few years back, it wasn't like that. We weren't even in this building. And so when I go to this conference and I'm hearing these preachers preach, 
you know, I helped, my identity was bound in some things that it shouldn't have been bound in. And one of them was the size of the church, right? We were, you know, I don't know how many years old we were, but I was like, man, you know, what's up, God? And I was thinking, you know, God, are you mad at me? Am I doing something wrong? I'm trying to figure out, like, what the problem is. Like, what's going on? But then I understood the gospel and I realized that Jesus is enough. I realized that no matter what I don't have in life, no matter what I don't possess in this lifetime, if I have Jesus, I have everything. Pastor Tillian Chavidjian, he wrote a book and he was sharing. I don't think he had written the book at the time, but he was writing a book and it was called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And when we get that, what happens is we are liberated from trying to perform in order to earn God's favor or prove that we have God's favor in some way or whatever the case may be. And so in this conference, this, the, the man's name, his name is David Nicholas, and you'll look down in your outline here. Whatever Happened to the Gospel is a book that's written by David Nicholas. He was the founding pastor of Spanish River Church in Boca Raton, Florida. That's a um, Presbyterian church. And he asked, and he asked Lifeway to do to do some research for him. And he asked him to find out, you know, what's going on in the churches of America. And so he had passed away like recently, and Spanish River gave a copy of this book to everyone who was in attendance. So, you know, as with any good book that you get for free, what do you do with it? Nothing. You're like, oh, man, I got a good book. It's, it's, you know, looks cool. And it sat there for months. And I didn't, you know, even look at the book. And I was, you know, preaching and, you know, trying to make sure I conveyed the gospel the best way that I can. And then I was on vacation. And the book is only seven chapters, right? So I'm figuring, hey, I could read one chapter a day and I'll knock this thing out in a week. And I ended up reading the book in like two days. I was, I, I was so overwhelmed by what the Holy Spirit was speaking. And listen, I want to say this to make this so crystal clear. There is no book. Hear what I'm going to say that should ever be held as high as the Word of God. Are you hearing me? And so what I am saying, though, is that the writer of this book is just like your, your preacher up here right now. The Holy Spirit wants to speak through someone, and someone will pen something. It doesn't mean this is equal to Scripture, and we should never hold any book as equal to Scripture. We should never hold any man. We should never hold any teaching except the words of God himself as being the highest authority. And so I hope you understand that. Nonetheless, God used this book to speak to my heart and to show me some things as to why the gospel is so important for the church today. And so looking at your outline, he, he asked. He asked Lifeway to do a survey regarding the preaching of the gospel in the Church of America. And so what Lifeway did was they surveyed 450 sermons preached in large to small churches across the country of different denominations. And they found that 86% of pastors mentioned at least one of the points of the bad and good news, but only 6% explained and applied all of the points. And so what does that mean for us? Just think about that. That means that 86% of pastors, they were saying something that had to do with the gospel. They may have been talking about the sinfulness of man. They may have been talking about the redemptive work of Jesus. They may have been talking about your new identity in Christ. They talked about one of the points, but they didn't go through the whole gospel presentation. And so what the result revealed was that 94% of pastors do not mention a logical, sequential, complete explanation of the bad news and the good news in their sermons. And so for you, you're like, well, what does that mean? I just want to know, you know, how to be blessed, right? Amen? I'm just saying, I want to be blessed. Anybody else want to be blessed in here? I'm just saying it, it's okay to want to be blessed, amen? As long as that ain't your life. It's just, you know, you want to be a person who walks in blessing. There's nothing wrong with the gospel. The gospel is the greatest blessing, amen? I'm just saying, Jesus came here to die for us so we could experience what it really means to be blessed, so we could experience this new life, right? And so when I looked at this statistic, I thought that that was bad. But there's another one that's in there, and it's another report that should prove the importance of the full gospel being preached was an article run by USA Today entitled, Mixing Their Religions, in which it said, despite Americans' overwhelming allegiance to someone they call God, 92% of Americans, at this time, this was 2008, they said that, you know, they had an allegiance to someone called God. In, 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 Pew, in Pew's 2008 U.S. Religious Landscape Survey, 70%, listen to this now, 70% said many religions can lead to eternal life. So that means that if I'm looking at 70% of these people, right, 92% say, hey, man, you know, I'm, I, I am in allegiance with God. But then 70% of them said many religions can lead to eternal life. And then 68% said there's more than one way to interpret the teachings of my religion. 
See, the problem here is that when you're not getting the gospel correctly, concisely, the way that it's supposed to be communicated, what man does, and this is in your outline here, when the gospel is absent or incompletely presented, man will fill in the gaps, and people end up misled and confused. And so, as a church, we must be passionate about the gospel and the preservation and presentation of the only message that has the power to change a person's life eternally. When you think about this, the, 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 the Pew's report there, it continued to communicate that there are people that sit in our churches that they believe in reincarnation. And if you're in here today and you believe in reincarnation, you're not alone because there are other people on this planet that believe in that. But I want you to know that reincarnation is not biblical. Are you here? It's important for us, but if we preach the gospel correctly... If we communicate the gospel the way that it should be, there's no confusion. You can believe what you want, but that's not what the gospel taught you. And the reason why people do that is because when they're not hearing the gospel, you know, you come and you sit down and you'll hear messages, and a lot of people walk away from messages when the gospel is not clearly communicated, and, it, and, and, they, and they believe something like this. Well, God is everywhere. How many of y'all would agree with that? God is everywhere, isn't he? Right? And so that's, that's the truth. God is everywhere because God is omnipresent, right? He's everywhere at all times. There's nowhere that God is not. But they would walk away believing the only responsibility that you and I have when you don't understand the gospel is all we have to do is just acknowledge God is there. That's all we got to do. Hey, man, God is here. That's the reason why you have so many people talking about, oh, man, yeah, God is blessing me and God this and God. And they speak about it as though that God is like their genie in a bottle or something like that. I just acknowledge him. And wait a second, that's not what the gospel teaches. The gospel doesn't teach. You just acknowledge God. The gospel calls for repentance of sin. The gospel calls for allegiance to Jesus. The gospel calls us to live a different type of life. The gospel in its fullness communicates some things that are completely different. And so for us as a church, my prayer is that we will have this passion that the apostle Paul had. So repeat this with me. Say, we should pray for the same passion as the apostle Paul. I just want you to notice some stuff. I mean, we read through, you know, through 17 verses here. We're not going to go and walk through 17 verses because we got like 25 different references of Scripture that we're going to go to. But here's what I want you to notice. I want you to look at verse 15 because this becomes so important. I mean, he talks about it in the beginning. He was separated to what in verse 1? Look at verse 1 real quick. He says this. He was separated to what? The gospel of God. He was se- Every one of us that is in here has been separated to the gospel of God, to this glorious and amazing message that God entrusts us with. But then in verse 15, notice this. Now, we can all agree on this. Now, he is speaking to the church. Someone say amen. amen. He is clearly writing to the church in Rome. He says to those in verse 7, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So he's speaking to the church, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we skip down to verse 15. So he says this, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. So the first thing I want you to notice is that Paul wanted to go to the church and he wanted to do what? He wanted to preach the gospel to them. What the church does the church need the gospel? Well, the apostle Paul thought so, right? He was he was so passionate, he wanted to preach to them because there's something that we have to realize, and it is that we don't ever come to a point in our lives where we don't depend on the gospel. We don't get to that place. When we get to that place, we've moved beyond God Himself. Hello. Because God provided for us this way of salvation. And someone asked me this question. They said, well, how is it that a Christian needs the gospel? And the only picture that I could think of after meditating on it and thinking like this, I was talking to my dad yesterday, by the way, and um, he, told me, he told me to tell you this. So I'm just going to say this in faithfulness. He said he was preaching to the, to, to the guys in there, and he said to them, he preached a message to them, remember Lot's wife. And he said, just tell the church, remember Lot's wife. And he said, go read the story and, you know, get, get blessed. Amen? You'll be real blessed, glory to God. I'm just saying. So anyway. He said that. But as he, he and I were sitting down, I asked him a question. I said, I said, you know what? When I'm thinking about this whole, you know, how do we need the gospel? I thought about it this way. Pastor Robert preached a few weeks ago, and he talked about the five basic needs of man. Y'all remember that message, right? Good message. And he preached, and he said one point there. He said that man needed what? They needed food, right? We need food. And so I thought about this, and I said for a moment, I said, okay, if I take two groups of people, I'll take some people that are in a third world country where food is not, you know, abundant, where there is starvation, where there is poverty, right? Those people there need food, don't they? Okay, now, if I come to America where we are just ridiculous, like there's food everywhere, right, do we still need food? Okay, so why do we need food in America and they need food over there? We have food. Why do we still need it? 
Are you seeing the picture? Why do we need it? Is it because we lack food or is it just because God created us that way? It is because we are created with a need that is there that no matter how much of it we have, we will always need it. Hello. The difference is this. The people in the third world country, they don't have the plethora of food that we have. Amen. They don't have that. And so it's the same thing when we come to Jesus. When I come to Jesus, guess what? I have the gospel. I have been saved and I have access to God on a different way than someone who is without God. And so we continue to need the gospel. We continue to want to grow. And so the Apostle Paul, the first thing we notice is that, is that he wants to preach the gospel to this church. The second thing that is extremely important is in verse 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power. Say the power. The word power there is the word dunamis. Dunamis power. It is the word that we get our English word dynamite from. And so you remember something. Think about this. Jesus told his disciples to do what? To wait in Jerusalem until they were endued with what? Dunamis. Till they were endued with dynamite. And that way they could go and do what? They could go and be witnesses. But he gave them a message that continues. And see, it's not just about me and you or you and I being powerful people. It is about us making sure that we are powerful people who have a powerful message who have a message that can change people's lives, that we are not wasting the power that God invests in us, but that we are sharing the way that God wants us to share to make sure that people are able to do what? To experience the power of God for salvation. So the first thing we notice is that Paul was eager to preach the gospel to the church at Rome. The second thing we notice is that the gospel is the power or the dynamite of God to salvation. The third thing that we notice is we go on in verse 17. He says this. He says, for in it, In what? What is it? The gospel. For in it, he says, the righteousness of God is revealed. So in the gospel, in the preaching of the full gospel, which is the title of this series, in the preaching of the full gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So what does that mean, the righteousness of God is revealed? Well, it means that the righteous character, the righteous standards of God is revealed when we preach the full gospel. His standards that are too high for us to meet all by ourselves are revealed. And then it goes on to say the last thing there, and he says this, he says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith and so from faith to faith what happens is when I come to the realization of the truths of the gospel and the righteousness of God there is only one way that I am ever going to be able to receive his righteousness and it is through what it is through faith And as I continue to grow in my relationship with him, I go from faith to faith with him. I keep growing in my faith, and I continue to do what? He said this, the just shall live by faith. And so in order for the power of God to be manifested for the salvation of man, the full gospel must be preached. You hear me? In order for us to make sure that, man, we are not in God's way, that we are walking in alignment with him, then we must preach the full gospel. And and hear me when I say this. God doesn't expect people to understand the gospel when it is preached in a confusing or non-concise manner, but Scripture reveals the way that we should preach this gospel. He doesn't expect people to figure it out. He doesn't expect people to just be like, well, I think that's what he meant. No, listen, brothers and sisters, we need to be clear when we communicate the message of the gospel. We need to make sure that we present the gospel the same way that Jesus would have, the same way that the the apostles would have, the same way that any, when you read scriptures, these people were preaching a full message of the gospel to make sure what? That people experience the power of God. They understood that eternity stood in the balance. And so it's important for us to realize the same thing and to keep that in mind. So my question is this, say this with me. We must all have the same definition of the gospel. We must all have the same definition of the gospel. Why? Because we're all reading the same Bible. Hello? I'm just saying. If we are all the people of God, if we are all the children of God, then we should have the same definition. We should, well, I have a definition of the gospel, and you have a definition of the gospel. No, there's one gospel. That's what the Apostle Paul said. That's not what I'm saying. That is what the Apostle Paul said. There is one definition for the gospel. There is one definition, and we need to make sure that we have the proper definition. And so I want you to think for a moment. If you look down at your notes there, you see there the first question over there. I think it's on the left-hand side. It says, what is your definition of the gospel? Now, I want, I want you to literally write down what your definition of the gospel is. Just try to do it in like one or two sentences. I'm going to give you a moment. I'm going to get a little sip of water here while you write that down. So think about that. You're going to compare notes with your neighbor. 
See if you and your neighbor agree on the gospel. What is your definition of the gospel? Y'all have one more minute, one more minute to get that definition down. What is your definition of the gospel? So for some of you that are done, you can just compare notes with your friend next to you. Be like, yeah, do we believe the same thing? Do we believe the same gospel? Just kind of look over there, glance at them. And if they're wrong, just tell them, man, you're wrong. <laughs> just, just tell them, that's ridiculous. What do you, where do you get that from? Like, what do you mean? Listen, you don't have to really compare notes. I was joking. But listen, the truth of the matter is that we all have to have the same definition of the gospel. We have to. This is so, I mean, I think when Paul communicates this, this great apostle, and he's letting us know anyone who distorts the gospel, anyone who changes the gospel, they are accursed. I mean, that's a big deal for me. I want to make sure that we have the gospel right. I want to make sure that we have that same definition. So if I were to give you the definition of the gospel, I would say these things. And it's not really a sentence. It's more of some really big points. And, and when we think of the gospel, I don't want you to think in terms of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because when we think of the gospel, we automatically go to that place. We're like, well, that's the gospel. But the Bible, the whole of Scripture, the breadth of Scripture is the gospel. Are you hearing me? The breadth of Scripture, when we start in the book of Genesis, we go through, the, through to the book of Revelation, we see the way something started. It is this good news of what God does, and there's some bad stuff in between, and we'll deal with those as well. But here's the thing. When I look at what is the gospel, I would say this. It is God revealed. Say, God revealed. Second thing I would say, it's man created and rebelled. Say, man created and rebelled. The third thing I would say is that Jesus the Savior, God the Son, was sent. So say that. Jesus the Savior, God the Son, was sent. And in parentheses, I would put, he lived perfectly, he was crucified unjustly, and he was resurrected miraculously. And then the last thing that I would say is salvation or new life. Say salvation. salvation. New life. That's what I would say the gospel is. And when I say that, salvation, new life, what I mean is justification by faith, sanctification by faith and by grace, and glorification by grace. That's what I would say. Glorification. And in, in, in the final of everything, God will transform this earth and everything will be culminated and the fullness of the gospel will be manifested once and for all. So that's what I would say the gospel is. And so here's the thing. I want you to, I want you to say this with me. Say, the bad news, bad news. is really... No, no, no. It's really bad news. I want you to know you are going to be depressed when you leave church today. But next week, I'm going to put a smile on your face. Amen? Listen, we're, we're, we're going to look at the bad news. The bad news is it's supposed to be bad news. And I pray, listen, I'm not going to leave you depressed. I hope. I hope you don't leave depressed. Don't leave depressed. If you know Jesus, you should not be 
depressed over this message. Amen? You should be equipped. The reason why I'm going through all of this is because I want you to be equipped. The one thing that is so very important is that we are called as leaders to do what? To equip the church for the work of the ministry. And what I want to do is I want to fill your spiritual quiver, glory to God, with as many arrows as possible so that way when you are sharing the gospel as good Christians do, amen, when you are sharing it, that you are not at a lack of words, you are not, not at a lack of scripture, but you will know this is what the Bible teaches, and so we can deal with those things. And so when I talk, when I talk about the bad news, it doesn't start off bad, right? Because here's what the scriptures teach us. So we'll say this, the gospel starts with God. Say that with me. The gospel starts with God. Why do I say the gospel starts with God? Because the Bible starts with God. Hello? In the beginning, God, right? That's what the scripture says. It like, it, and, and here's the thing. The Bible starts with God. The Bible begins with God. It assumes God. It doesn't try to say God came from here. It tells us where the earth came from. Hello? It tells us where the sun, moon. It tells us where the stars. It tells us where everything else came from. But it doesn't tell us where God comes from. Now, throughout scripture, God is revealing himself. When you look at the plagues in Exodus, God was definitely proving himself. Amen, somebody? But in the beginning, God is just assumed. It's like, okay, in the beginning, God. Amen. And so we have to start where the Bible starts when we're talking about the gospel. Because when we're talking to people, we want to communicate to them. We want to let them know about this glorious and great God. And so what do the scriptures teach us in the book of Genesis? We're not going to read all these scriptures. But Genesis chapter 1 and verse and, and chapter 2, all the way there, you see the Bible begins with God assuming him. It reveals God as what? It reveals him as sovereign. It reveals him as almighty creator who created all things and all things were created as good. Say good. And so... What does that show us about God? It shows us first that he's good. That's what it teaches us. God creates man in his own image and likeness. He blesses man, gives man authority and responsibility, which shows us what about God? Shows us, we talked about this a few weeks ago, it shows us that God is also gracious. And then God does something that is amazing. He communes with man, which shows us what else about God? That God is relational. And so it shows us that our God creates the earth. He doesn't just create the earth, but he also, he, he establishes all of these laws. This deals with people who are deists, who believe in a God, who believe in a creator, but think that once creation was done, God checked out. God shows us, I didn't check out. I was walking in the garden with Adam. Hello. I was in relationship there. I promised redemption. And so the first thing we see is that. The second thing is this. The gospel moves to the bad news about man. The first thing we see is this amazing, good, holy, righteous, sovereign, all-powerful, all-wise God who is, does everything good, gives man everything that he needs to be, everything that he is called to be. And then we move into the bad news in chapter 3 in the book of Genesis. We see the creation of Adam and Eve. They are created without sin. Are you hearing me? They were created by God. Sin had not entered the earth yet, but man decides, Adam decides, that he is going to listen to Eve, and Eve decided she was going to listen to the serpent instead of listening to who? To God Almighty. So the second thing that we see is the redemption history is man sinning against God. What does man do? God gave man like two things that he had to do. That one thing that he couldn't do and the rest to do. Hey, man, I, I bless you. Be fruitful. Multiply. Take dominion. Fill the earth. He gave him a bunch of positive stuff to do, right? All the positives. He gives him one negative. He says no to one thing. And what does man do? The one thing God says no to, he's like, man, I got to have that. Bro, you had everything. Right? Like we could talk to Adam and Eve and be like, seriously? You had everything and you gave it up for one thing? Really? God gave you everything in this earth. He, gave, he said one thing you couldn't have. My dad said it's the law of prohibition. You see it in your children, right? The moment you say no, they want it even more. I'm just saying. I see it with my son all the time. He wants to touch stuff, but the moment I say no, he's like, man, I really want to touch it now. Right? I really want to get into that now. And it's, and it's within our nature, right? It is within us that we're like that. When we are told no, that we can't do that, or we can't, there's something in us that wants to do those things. And so it's the same thing here that happens with them. The devil comes and paints this pretty picture, communicates and lets them know this is what's going to happen. Man decides that he is going to disobey God's one negative command, and what is the result? The result is sin and death into the world. Now understand this, please, and this is something that I don't think that we realize. Death is God's judgment against sin. Did you hear me? Death is not, we think, well, death is just a natural. It's natural to us. 
in this physical world. But can I tell you something? You know what's something that I realized doing funerals and things like that? While we say death is natural, you want me to prove to you how it is not natural? No matter how much you know someone is going to die, they could be on their deathbed for weeks. Your heart doesn't disconnect from them. When I think about my grandfather who passed away, who, who knows how many years ago, when I think about him, at certain moments, I get emotional. Why? Because we were not created to die. See, eternity is in the hearts of men. And while we realize that there is a day that people that we love will pass away, there's something that wants to hold on to them no matter what we know about them. Why is that? Because that is part of the curse. It is part of the curse that is in this earth. And so we have to realize that death is part of God's judgment. And we'll see that that's part of man's problem as well. But here's the thing. How does this affect our standing with God? Well, what do we know about sin? As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, their eyes were open. They knew they were naked. And what did they start doing? They started to fear. They were ashamed. They started running from God, trying to cover their own sin. But what did sin ultimately do? It separated them from God. It separated them from all that God had for them. Sin separates us from God. We have to realize this. But then here's the question. Are all men sinful? Are all men sinful? According to the scriptures. According to the word of God. Well, let's see what the scriptures say. So the first thing, I, or not the first thing, like the fifth thing or whatever. I have you repeat after me. You're just going to repeat after me a lot today. But say this with me. All men, all men. have a sin problem. All men have a sin problem. So look with me. We're going to go through a bunch of scriptures. You guys are ready with all those scriptures? Yes? All right, we're just going to just boom. Okay, so the first scripture is Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. What does this scripture say? It says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death separate, spread to all men. Say all men. Because all sin. Say all sinned. Okay, so therefore, just as through one man. Who's the one man? Adam. Through one man, through Adam. When Adam ate of the fruit... Right? When Adam ate of the fruit, sin entered the world. And then, this is just to prove to you that I wasn't just saying something about death being this. And sin entered the world and death through sin. And so this is the result of what? It is that sin thing. So what this shows us is that all of us, I've said this before, that we are all born into sin. That we are all born with a sinful nature. And we are not just born into sin, but we choose sin. We choose to sin against God, which is what the scriptures teach. And so, yes, all men are affected by sin. And what this scripture reveals is it reveals every man's sin problem, original sin, or what we call Adamic sin, affects everyone who is born to a biological father. So let's just prove something real quick. How many of you all have a biological father? Raise your hand. All right, so no one in here did not have a biological father. So that means that all of us in here, right, are affected by sin. Amen? Just saying, I mean, it's just a reality. The only reason why Jesus is not sinful, he is human, is because what? Because his father is not of this natural world. And so Jesus doesn't take the seed of Adam and become what? Sinful. He becomes human, not sinful. There's a difference. There's only one who is not sinful, and that is Jesus himself. And so the scriptures go on because we're not going to stop there. But look at Psalm 51 and verse 5. What does this scripture say? Psalm 51 and verse 5. It says, this is David speaking, of, uh, 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 th that whole psalm is about repentance after he was confronted about his whole ordeal with Bathsheba. And he says this, he says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. And so this is showing us what? That not only is, did we inherit this, but David is communicating something. He's talking about him and his sinfulness, okay? So, you know, maybe that's just David. No, it's everyone. I'm just saying. All right? David didn't have to say we are all. He was communicating something that Romans is confirming for us. But here's the truth. The truth is it says that we are all born into sin here. It says that that is the way that we are born. So Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, we've read these verses. And I want you to know Romans chapter, chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, these scriptures are talking about what? They're not talking about people after they come to Jesus. Please hear me when I say this. This scripture that we're going to look at, Romans, you ready? Romans chapter 3, this is, this is talking about us before we come to Christ, right? Before we, before we bow our hearts. It says, as it is written, therefore, there, there, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. And so he's communicating to us, first of all, sin affects all of us. We're born into sin. Um, Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, it communicates that there is none that is righteous. Romans 
chapter 3, verse 23. You guys know this one by heart, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So again, the sin problem. Remember, man has this sin problem. If we're preaching the full gospel, this is the bad news. There is a sin problem. Then we have 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. And, and, and we'll look at that one, 1 John and 1.8. It says, if we say that we have no sin, and I like that, singular, because what this is speaking about, this is speaking about sin nature. If we say that we have no sin. And so, what? Now, now, now listen, y'all. He's writing to the church. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. This is 1 John. He is writing to the church, and he said, if we say we have no sin, we have a sin nature. He says, we deceive ourselves, okay? So if you don't have sin, you're deceiving yourself because that's not true according to the Scripture, and the truth is not in you or in us. And so look at verse um, 110. In between here is like the sandwich, the sin sandwich, I like to call it. But anyway, he says, if we say that we have not sinned, now notice... This is different. This is not just sin that we have. This is saying that we have not sinned. That means a committing of sin that we've done. We make him. Who is him? God. A liar. And his word is not in us. And so we see this. I call it the sin sandwich because in between these two scriptures is the most amazing one. I didn't tell him to pull it up. But it's that God, if we confess our sins to him. This is beautiful, right? He is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, to forgive us of our sins, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's beautiful. You look, you have sinned, you have sinned, there's an advocate, glory to God. Amen. Jesus is there to forgive sin. And so all men have this sin problem. Now, what is the great issue with sin? Here is the great issue with sin. It is that it requires judgment. It's not just that it makes you a bad person or makes me a bad person or puts me in a bad situation in my life because there's sin in this world. It is that sin requires judgment. There is judgment that comes as a result of sin. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says the wages of sin are what? Death. It's what it communicates. But I want you to turn. I didn't tell them to pull this one up because I want you guys to turn here. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, because I want you to see the, 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 the gravity of what sin, the effects of sin are going to be for those who do not bow their knees to Jesus. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, and we will start reading. In verse 7, when you got it, say so. And it says this, and to, give, and, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So those are the people that this judgment is against. If you know God, and, and when I say know him, your life shows that you're not fearful. Amen? You're, you're, you're getting educated. You're understanding. You know God, right? And so you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have obeyed the gospel of our Lord. It's amazing because it says to obey this gospel. That says to put, you know, when we're talking about this gospel, talking about putting our trust in Jesus. In verse 9, it says, these shall be punished. With everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, is that horrible? Church, that's the reason why the gospel is so important. Because if we don't get the gospel right, people are deceived. And guess where they end up? I firmly believe this. In part, the reason why when Jesus says, many will come unto me in that day and say, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do great works in your name? He will say to them, part from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. It's because they have not fully understood the gospel. They think sometimes, and we preach, it's just about doing some good things. It is not just about doing some good things. When we come to Jesus, understand this, we have been saved to do good works, but it's not just about doing some stuff. It's not just about being part of a church. It's not just about all of those things are biblical, and they're part of what being a Christian is. But if we miss the gospel, we will continue living in sin. We can't do that. And so he, he communicates to us that judgment is this great problem. That is a graphic picture of, of a punishment that is going to happen. And so why is this part of the gospel so important, this part about man being sinful? Well, first of all, in general, most people think they aren't really that bad and really don't need to be saved. Has anybody had that conversation? Raise your hand if you had that conversation. With those people, I'm not that bad. You know, I mean, I haven't killed anybody. You know, I'm faithful to my spouse. And right, you know, you know that person. 
They're not that bad. And when you're talking about being saved, they're like, saved from what? This is what you need to be saved from. Hello. But if you don't know this stuff, well, you know, what, what, what does the Bible say? God wants to save you from that. That's why Jesus came to deliver us from this, right? But the reality is we need to understand what the Scriptures communicate. So that's the first reason. The second reason, as I was meditating on this, why is it so important is because it addresses why there is evil in the world. Why is there evil in the world? And the reason why this came to mind is because, you know, you got all this stuff going on with, you know, I, I, ISIS, I guess is what it's called. And these people over there killing. And, you know, you hear people talk and they say stuff. See, that's why I hate religion. Because religion kills. No, my friends. Religion is not what kills. Sinful man is what kills. It is a sinfulness of man that kills. It is a sinfulness of man that takes things out of context, that does things. It is a sinfulness of man that will listen to things that are not godly, that don't align with the heart of God, and apply them as though they're honoring God. Are you hearing me? And so we have this argument. Well, when I'm talking about the sinfulness of man or you're talking about the sinfulness of man, that's the answer of why there are these things that are happening in our world. It's not because God is not good. It's not because God is not loving. It's not because God is not present. It's not because God doesn't care. It is simply because men are sinful. The third reason why this becomes so important for us is because it levels the ground for all men before God. Here's the thing. You could have been raised in church all your life. That doesn't mean that you know Jesus. I'm just saying it like that because of the truth. You know, I, I hear the testimonies of people. They're like, man, I was raised in the church, and I've been a Christian all my life. No, you haven't. You have not been a Christian all your life. You may have been raised in church. Amen to that. But you cannot have been a Christian all your life. There had to be a point in your life where you came to realize that you needed Jesus as Savior. I'm just saying that has to happen. Now, does that mean you got to be some heinous, crazy sinner out there? No. You could have been a person that was in church, living, you know, doing. I mean, you could have been participating in all kind of stuff and then just realized, man, I have not committed my life to Christ. I mean, those things have to occur. Those things happen in our lives. And they may not be as dramatic in everyone else's life. I give you my testimony. Oh, my goodness, so amazing, in my opinion, what God did. But I can promise you that there are tons of people that will make it into heaven, and they are not going to have that same testimony. But they will have trust in Jesus Christ. They will have repented of sin. They will have put their hope and their faith in him and in him alone. And so it levels that ground. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what family you're born into. The reason why um, Romans chapter 3 is speaking for all of sin to fall short of the glory of God, you know the context there? The context is God is, is speaking through the apostle Paul and he's saying Jews and Greeks are equal. Just because you were born an Israelite doesn't mean that you have a better standing with God. You are all equal because you're all sinners. That's what he does. That's what God does. He levels the ground so everyone can come to faith in Jesus equally. That's what he does. And he does that when we communicate this. Another good question I think is really important for us to ask is, what is sin? Ever thought about that question? What is sin? What, what is the definition of sin? And I give you a scripture. We won't turn there, but you can write it down. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. It says it clearly. It gives us the best definition of sin. It says, sin is lawlessness. Being without the laws of God. Now, mind you, this is written in the New Testament, and God is saying sin is lawlessness, and so that means that there must be some laws. I'm actually going to preach a message in a, in, in a while, or probably next year sometime, and I'm going to deal with all of the New Testament commandments, every commandment that we've received in the New Covenant that God calls us to respond to. Because sometimes we think we don't have commandments in the New Testament because we live in grace. That is not true. That is false. That is untrue. We are called to live by the laws of God. We are called to live according to God's character and God's standards. The word sin in and of itself, it literally means to miss the mark. So the question is, what, is it, what mark is it that we're aiming for? The mark that we are aiming for, when you think about missing the mark, if you are shooting you know, an arrow at a target, there is a center, and that is where you want to hit, right? And so if I'm shooting this arrow at the center, and I just go a little bit above it, and I don't hit the center, did I hit the mark? No. I missed the mark. That is how perfect God is. God requires us, if we are going to be holy and righteous people, which he calls us, that we live to that standard. But Jesus came for what? Because no one can live to that standard. 
None of us can live to the standard of holiness that God is. God is beyond our understanding when it comes to holiness. As we were in prayer this morning, my heart was so overwhelmed because I was, I was just meditating and thinking about how great is our God, how much we belittle him and minimize him and bring him down to our level. Do we really understand the magnitude of the creator of this universe? Do we really understand that the one who spoke and didn't cause sweat, he didn't stutter, he spoke and things just started happening? Do you understand the one who holds all of this stuff in the palm of his hands? He's like flipping it around on his finger. Do you understand that that is the one who has called you to be a son or a daughter? Do you understand that that is the one who humbled himself and died for us so that way we could have a relationship with him? When we get the magnitude of that, we begin to really be humbled about our humanity and we realize that we all have this same issue. We all have this same problem and that is the reason why Jesus had to come and die for us. We all have this issue. We all miss the mark. The Old Testament gives us moral law, civil law, ceremonial law. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line, the Ten Commandments, they show us what? They show us the moral laws of God. And typically at this point, I would go through, you know, are you, have you done this? Have you done that? I have one command. Jesus said something. They asked him a question. They said, what is the greatest commandment of all? And it is this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Can I tell you something that I believe, I, I, I know this about myself, and I can't say this about anyone else in this building, but I do not live one day that I love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, everything that is within me, every minute of every day. Sorry. And the fact that that is truth in my heart, I will always have a way to have to humble myself before God, thanking him for his amazing grace. Thanking him for what he has done for me. Thanking him that, man, I don't depend on my ability. Man, did I, did I do everything God said today? Did I not do everything God said not to do today? Listen, that would be crazy. But the gospel liberates me from that. The gospel frees me from that place. And so when God says that, that is what we're called to do. The, the, the number one command. And we need to check our hearts and make sure that we are living that out. And listen, if you know Jesus today, you trust in him. You believe him. Don't feel condemned because that's not the reason for the bad news to be presented. The bad news is to be presented. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that the law is not for the righteous. It is for the unrighteous. And so whenever you hear or you communicate the bad news, know this. It is not to be condemning. It is to simply point someone to the sin problem that they have. It is to make it crystal clear that they do need a Savior and that they do need deliverance. Say this next thing with me. Say, every man has a death problem. We have a sin problem that is huge. That's the, that's the beginning of the bad news. The second part of the bad news is that we have a death problem. And the Bible speaks of three different types of death. And so the first one that we see is we're going to look at this in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. It says this, and you he made alive. Remember, he's writing to the church. Who were? Say who were. Dead. Say dead. And trespasses and sins. Don't say that. And you he made alive who were dead. Now listen. I wanted to make sure that I understood what dead was, right? So I looked up the word dead. Can I tell you what the word dead means? It means dead. <laughs> dead is dead, right? When, when there. Why is this important? Because the first death that Adam and Eve experienced, remember them, was what? Was it physical death? No. Spiritual death. The first death problem that every man has is spiritual death. Before we come to Christ, if you don't know Jesus, you're spiritually dead. That's what the Bible says. You are dead. That means you are useless. It means you are incapable of responding to God. That's what dead means. It means you, like, you know, I went to see my grandfather, right? And I, I, I never forget when he passed away, he talked about him. And I, I went to see him the night before he was laying in the bed. When I went, the night before he passed away, I ended up being, being able to be there. And as I started, you know, I was just singing worship in the room with him. And every once in a while, you know, he was plugged up to some machines. And every once in a while, like, he would open his eyes and he would, like, kind of come to consciousness. He never responded to me, like, you know, vocally or anything like that. But I knew that there was still life in him. The next morning at like 6 o'clock, 6.30, my wife calls me and says, babe. I'm like, yeah, what's up? And she's like, your grandfather passed away. I'm like, okay. So I get in the car, and when I go to the room, I look at my grandfather. I could have sang. I could have danced. 
I could have done backflips. I could have jumped on his chest. And guess what would have not happened? He would not have responded in any way because he was dead. And so we have a death problem. We are spiritually dead according to the scripture. So the first type of death the Bible talks about is spiritual death. Physical death is the next type. So Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, it tells us that it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. What is that death there? That's talking about physical death. So the first type of death we deal with is the spiritual death. Everyone that does not know Jesus, spiritually dead. And those who, and every one of us, whether we know Jesus or not, it is appointed unto man once to die. Physically, we will experience physical death. And then the third type of death that we see here, and there's a few more scriptures on this one. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 41 to 42. Look at what it says. It says, the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so this is speaking about an eternal suffering, an eternal death. We looked at 2 Thessalonians. You guys don't have to worry about 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, but go to Jude chapter 1 and verse 13. Jude chapter 1 and verse 13. And it says this. this and, and this is, this, uh, when I read, I, I was reading the book of Jude, and this is another thing that just scared, scares me so much when I read it because he's, he's referring to people who are among you. He's talking about people that are spots in your love feast. He's talking about people that are within the church. That, that to me is, is, is awakening. And he's saying this. He said, he's not saying everyone. He's talking about spots. So it's a spot. It's not the whole group. He's saying, but they are raging waves of the sea, foaming up their, up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Eternal damnation is eternal death. In the book of Revelation, it speaks about the second death speaks about that. And so we have a problem. We have a sin problem, and then we also have a death problem. Why is this important? Remember, death is God's judgment against sin. Now, I want you to understand this. It is not saying that everyone who dies is because they were sinning. Are you hearing me? What it is saying is that it was never God's original plan. But you do see this, and we read it every, I believe, every, um, every communion time that we come together. We read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and what does it tell us there? It tells us this. It says that some people participated in the, in, in the Lord's Supper, in the communion table, in a way that was indignant. And what does it say? It says, and some of them are sick and some of them are sleeping. He wasn't talking about taking a nap. He's talking about being dead. He's talking about that death, which is God's judgment, okay? So we have that issue here. The third thing here, say every man, every man. has a good works problem. And what's the problem with that is that good works don't work. Hello. That's the problem. That is the, that is the problem. Good works don't work when it comes to earning God's favor, when it comes to earning something from God. And so here's what we realize is this, um, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. It's a scripture that these scriptures are going to communicate to us and show us about our righteousness and our own actions and where they, and where they align with God. So Isaiah 64 and verse 6, it says, but we all say we all. You know why I like we all? I'm going to tell you why I like we all. We are all, it says there. But the reason why I like the word we is because you know who's writing this book? This is a prophet. This is a man of God. And he didn't say you all. He wasn't pointing the finger saying, y'all, y'all, not, not me. As a matter of fact, when Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, he has this encounter with God. It's so amazing. He sees the Lord high and lifted up, the train of his robe filling the temple. The angels, you know, the cherubim, they are flying around, and one of them's covering their faces and their bodies, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, shaking the actual temple. Amazing scenery of heaven. And when Isaiah has this encounter with God's holiness, he says, I am undone. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. Wait a second. Time out. What happened between the moment that Isaiah had this revelation and the time that he spoke that? Did he curse? Did he do something sinful? No. He had an encounter with the holiness of God, and he realized in comparison with his grandeur and his splendor, I am undone. 
I'm a man of unclean lips. But the prophet says, but we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And so he communicates this in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6 that all of our righteousness has filthy rags. All of our righteous acts in comparison. It doesn't mean that they're not righteous. This is comparative. All of our acts in comparison to the righteousness of God. Filthy rags. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16. This is New Testament stuff for us. says this. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law, no flesh, say no flesh. No flesh shall be justified. So our righteousness has filthy rags according to Isaiah, and according to Galatians, our works, our, our works cannot justify us. We will never be justified by obeying the laws of God. When I preach the series and I talk about the New Testament laws and commandments that God gives us, we're still going to know what God wants us and we're still going to fall short. That's it. And that's the beauty to me of the gospel and the good news that we'll get to next week when we deal with that. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 through 9. It says to us, For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so Ephesians says that we're not saved by our good works. There's a, there's a, there's a good works problem for everyone. So anyone who tries to communicate with us, well, I'm a good person, but you're not good enough. The last scripture we'll look at is Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. And remember, the reason why I'm going through all of these scriptures is because I want to make sure that you have all that you need in order to communicate this first part of the gospel. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, that's beautiful. When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we had done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. According to his love. But he shows us that he doesn't save us because of our righteous works. He saves us because of his love. He saves us because of his mercy. Here's the thing, church, until we understand, and when I say we, I'm speaking in general, until man understands that we are not good enough to earn our place into heaven, we will depend on good works instead of a holy Savior. See, as I was thinking about this, I said, man, I think we need to understand the difference between God's approval and God's love. See, because sometimes we think that God loves us because he approves of us, which is not true. Our vision for this church, for those of you who went through the vision carrier class, those of you who haven't, our vision for this church, the driving motivation is to do what? To please God. To please him, which means what? To gain some kind of approval. I'm just saying that's what pleasing means. It means that I'm pleasing unto him, that I've done things that please him. And so is it possible to please him? Yeah, but the scripture reference that we talk about is what? It is impossible to please God what? Without faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without, and so we please him by faith. We please him by walking by faith in what? In the Savior. But here is the problem with us so many times. And listen, I hope this liberates some people because some of you don't feel like you are good enough because you don't do things that please God. And what I want you to know is that none of us is good enough. None of us are accepted into God's beloved glory and presence because we are good enough. You look at people sometimes and you think, man, they're just so much better than me. And you know what? God still says, I died for them just like I died for you. I shed my blood for them just like I shed, shed my blood. I, I shed my blood for them just like I shed my blood for you. And so it's important that we realize the difference between God's love. Listen, church, God loves us. And I'll say this again at the end. God loves us not because we are lovable, but because he is love. He loves us, not because we have something great to offer him. He, look, the Bible makes it clear. Jesus says there's no one good except who? God. That's what he said, right, to the rich young ruler. Remember that conversation? The apostle Paul in the New Testament says there's nothing good in my flesh. And so ultimately, there is nothing good. God didn't say, man, I need you because you're so good. 
He doesn't do that. He says, you need me to save you. You need me to deliver you. That's the truth here. And how'd you repeat this with me? That the bad news is really bad news. It's not supposed to be good news. It's supposed to be bad news. You see, if we really let this sink in and we really sit down and we think about it for a moment, the bad news leaves us hopeless. You feel the weight of that hopelessness? As you're, you're hopeless. If, apart from Jesus, we're hopeless. We have no hope outside of him. Rightfully so. Because man by himself is helpless to save himself. But you know what? The last question on your outline is this. What is the beauty of the bad news? What's the beauty of the bad news? Here's the the beauty of the bad news. That's not the end of the story. The beauty of the bad news is that while God leaves us hopeless, what he does is he creates with the bad news a hopelessness that creates such a void that the only one who can fill it is God himself. The only one who can fill it is God himself. Last scripture that we'll turn to is Ephesians chapter, chapter 2. We, start, we looked at it a little bit, but Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read it together. Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 1. This is the beauty of this bad news that I just communicated with you. And next week we will get much more into the good news because I want to share a lot more regarding this good news. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, when you got it, say so. I'll wait. There's a few people still turning. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. When you got to say so. And it says, You he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The love of God, church, that is the beauty of the bad news. Is that God wants you to know, listen, we have to agree with God's word completely, not just partially. We have to agree with God's word that we are what the word of God says that we are. When we are separated from him, we are dead in our trespasses, that we are born into sin, that we sin by decision as well as birth. We have to agree and admit to those things. We do have to do that. But listen, the beauty of it is God doesn't just want you to agree that you're horrible. Hello? He doesn't want you to agree, man, I'm the worst person to ever walk the planet. He wants you to agree, God, love me because he is love. He wants you to agree, God loved me with all of his heart and all of his soul, and he gave his best. Literally, he comes to earth in the form of a man to die in our place in order that we can be what? We can be brought to life spiritually so that we don't have to fear physical death because we know that we will be eternally with him. That is the beauty of the bad news is that God doesn't want to leave us all to ourselves to try to figure it out on our own. He figured it out for us. He gave us the resolution. His love demonstrated on the cross, church. It liberates us from fear and condemnation. The moment that we put our faith in him and come to realize the magnitude of his mercy. The first scripture that we read in the book of Romans that it goes in the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And as we come to Jesus, if you're in this place today and you don't know him, but you realize, man, I am everything that you said. I am that person who is a sinner. I am a person who is living according 
according to an ungodly lifestyle. Today, God wants to save you. He wants to bring deliverance and healing to your heart. You may have been in church for all your life. You may have been in church for a long time, and you think, oh, man, I got everything together. Everything is all good. But you realize today, as you have heard the word of God, that you feel accused, that you feel some condemnation. Well, the Bible says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so when you come to Christ, when you get in Christ Jesus, you don't walk in condemnation. And I pray that whenever I share, because church, you got to know this. I mean, you should know this. You've been here for a while. I am going to preach the gospel every Sunday till the day I die. And I never want you, if you are a believer, to ever doubt your salvation. I never want you, if you as, as you as a believer, to doubt the work of Christ in you. I never want you to feel condemned or beat up. What I want you to know is that God declares you victorious in him because of him but what I do want is that if you are living in sin if you are being a hypocrite if you are if you are a spot in our love feast that you would realize that you are that and that you would turn from sin to the gracious savior who doesn't want you to experience eternal death but wants you to experience eternal life that's the reason why the gospel is so important because there are spots in our love feast. There are people who are wolves who have crept in and we don't even realize it. There are people who look like they are but they are not and they need to be preached to the gospel of truth. And then there are others who are just seeking and they don't know and I don't want them to ever feel like, hey man, just acknowledge God that he is good. It's bigger than that. We need to acknowledge that we are not good and that he is the only one that is good and that salvation is in him alone. And so I pray that our hearts are stirred with the same passion that the Apostle Paul had and that we will preach this gospel until the day that we die. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet and bow your heads with me, please. If you're in this place today and you, you know.